Chapter Six of the Great White Queen by William Lequeux. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tom Weiss. Chapter Six, The Royal Jujus. On the fifth day after we had left our canoes, the Grand Vizier of Mo had gone far forward along the line of carriers to speak with the head man, and Omar was walking immediately before me at the rear of the procession. As I pulled him by the sleeve, he halted and when the last carrier had got out of hearing I confided to my friend my misgivings. "'Have you noticed of late a change in Kuwaga's manner toward us?' I asked him. "'At first he was deferential and submissive to your every wish, but it occurs to me that of late his manner is overbearing, and he watches us closely, as if fearing we might escape.' "'Curiously enough,' my friend replied, "'I have for some days past had similar thoughts.' If he's playing any double game, his life won't be worth a moment's purchase when once we enter our own land. "'But you had perfect confidence in him,' I observed. "'Yes, if my mother trusts him as her chief adviser, I have no right to entertain any suspicion of his fidelity,' he said. "'True, but, after all, you are the prince and heir. Surely he ought to have followed your desire as to the route we should take.' "'The route!' he cried. Since we left the river we have travelled in these cross paths in such an amazing manner that at present I have no idea where we are. The carriers have, or they would not be in such high spirits, I observed. Yes, but the strangest part of the affair is that every man among them fears to tell us anything. I have secretly questioned most of them as to Kuwaga's motive, and all I can glean is that the fetish man at Tambora gathered them together and after performing some of the usual rites and sacrificing to our crocodile god Zamara, told them if a word were spoken to us regarding our route or destination, the dread god will meet us in the forest path and devour all of us. Not one shall survive. And you believe this pagan humbug? I exclaimed in disgust. He opened his dark eyes wide, regarding me in astonishment. I had never before ridiculed his religion. The jujus around my neck preserve me from every evil, except those worked by Zomara. He is the great god whose power only the fetish man can withstand. Slaves, princes, kings, all sacrifice to him. If we offend him, death or torture is inevitably our punishment. "'Do you think you've offended him?' I inquired. "'I know not,' he sighed with a serious look. "'If I have, then nothing can save me. The fetish man of Tambora has worked evil against me. Well, I said, this is my first experience of Africa, but it strikes me very forcibly that these fetish men of yours will do anything they are paid to do. What was there to prevent Kuwaga paying that hideous old demon at Tambora to utter his horrible incantations, and so frighten our carriers into silence? Zambora is a terrible god. None dare tamper with him or utter his name in vain threats, Omar answered. Well, whoever he is, I still stick to my opinion, I said. Depend upon it, Kuwaga is at the bottom of this conspiracy of silence. Just at that moment the black face of that worthy, rendered darker by the snow-white hake that surrounded it, appeared among the tangled bamboos. He had missed us and had come back to search. Yes, my surmise seemed correct. He was watching us closely and trying to understand our conversation. That evening when we halted, and the natives went into the bush to collect fuel for the fire, I managed to take one or two of them aside and secretly inquire our destination. 
but I got the same answer always. Zambora has tied our tongues. He commands us to be mute, or we shall be destroyed to the last one. To endeavor to learn anything from these simple-minded blacks seemed useless. They would speak freely on every subject, indeed they seemed fond of talking with one whose face was white, yet regarding our journey they obeyed the command of the fetish man to the very letter. It is the same everywhere in the West and Central Africa. The fetish man rules. What he says is more law than the word of kings. If he declares a man or woman bewitched, that person will assuredly be murdered before the sun sets. If he orders the people of the village to perform a certain action, they will do it, even if death stares them in the face. They blindly believe that the fetish is all-powerful, and that the half-naked dancing savages who administer it are endowed with supernatural powers. That night, feeling tired out, I threw myself down early near the campfire and slept soundly for several hours. But at length some unusual sound awoke me, and when I opened my eyes I saw that the fire had died down to one single flickering ember, which still blazing cast a fitful light upon the bowls of the forest giants around. Scarcely had I opened my eyes when I became conscious of low whispering in my vicinity. This thoroughly aroused me, and without stirring my body I slowly turned my head, when, to my astonishment, I beheld Kuaga standing erect with arms folded beneath his white burnoose, talking in an undertone to a dark-bearded stranger who also wore flowing Arab garments and bore in his hand a long-barreled flintlock gun with quaintly inlaid stock. The man seemed older than the Grand Vizier of Mo, for his beard was tinged with gray, and the brown hand that held the gun was lean and bony. I strained my ears to catch the drift of their earnest conversation, but could not. It was tantalizing that they spoke in so low a tone, for the stranger seemed to mumble into his beard, while Kuaga whispered with his mouth turned from me. The presence of a stranger in our camp was, to say the least, strange, for through those gloomy forest glades no single traveler could journey. Omar had told me that for a person to attempt to traverse that region alone would be merely suicide. My friend was sleeping soundly at some distance from me, therefore I could not awaken him without attracting attention. If only he would open his eyes, I thought, he might recognize the newcomer either as friend or foe. But no, he slept on as peacefully as if he were still in the cozy dormitory at Old Triggers, with its blue and white counterpanes and windows commanding a wide sweep of distant sea. While I lay gazing upon my friend and hoping that he might open his eyes, I suddenly heard the stranger raise his voice louder than before. It was only for an instant, but in that moment upon my ear there fell three words the English equivalents of which I understood. They were, Seek the treasure. But I could distinguish nothing more, and in a few moments the two men hurriedly snapped fingers, and the mysterious stranger disappeared noiselessly into the dark silent bush. When the loud blast from the ivory horn, with its hideous ornamentation of human teeth, proclaimed the advent of another day, I took Omar aside and told him of what I had witnessed and overheard. After I had described the stranger, he said, I know not who he may be. It is evident, however, we are traveling in the opposite direction to Mo. Therefore we will go no further. I will command Kuaga to return to Tambora, cross the river, 
and press forward over the hills of Dabagaka to the Black Volta. And if he refuses, then we will go alone. An hour later, when we had eaten our plantains and the usual babble was proceeding which was always precursory of a start being made, my companion strode up to Kuaga with a look of fierce determination upon his face, saying, "'Give ear to my words. I am Omar, son of the Naya, the great white queen, before whose wrath all nations tremble.' "'Speak, I listen,' answered the giant negro, with a look of surprise upon his ugly countenance. I will go no further along this path. You, the headman and the carriers, shall return with me to the bank of the Como, otherwise my mother shall punish you for disobeying my orders. All who dare go forward from this moment shall be sacrificed at the yam feast, and the dogs shall eat their entrails. These are my words. Then whither would you go from Tambora? asked Kuaga, apparently astonished at Omar's sudden decision. I will only approach Mo by the great salt road. It is impossible. There is fighting in the hills, for the Karaburo and the Dagari are at war. And what matters, pray, since they are both our allies? Omar asked. For a moment the negro was nonplussed, but with a broad grin showing his even row of teeth, he said, The bird goes not into the serpent's lair, neither does the son of the queen enter the country of her enemies. I have already given tongue to my decision, my friend replied. Advance, and each of your heads shall fall beneath the keen doka of Gankoma, the executioner. Kuaga, hearing these words, set his teeth fiercely, and glaring at us with his fiery eyes, the whites of which were bloodshot, retorted, Recede, and we will carry you forward, bound as a slave. This is a threat, cried Omar, drawing himself up to his full height, and stretching forth his arm. You, whom my mother raised from a palace slave, thus threaten me? Let it be thus, but I warn you that if you ever set foot across the borders of Mo, your head shall be set upon the palace wall as a warning to disobedient slaves. Then, turning to me, and waving back the crowd of carriers who had collected and stood open-mouthed around us, he said, Come, Scars, we will return. I have thrice traversed the path from Tambora to the Great Salt Road, and can follow it without a guide. Then, calling down the curse of Samaro the dreaded, Upon them all he turned on his heel, and walked down the narrow path we had traversed on the previous night, while with a final glance of triumph at the irate negro I followed. Scarcely had we gone fifty yards, however, before a dozen carriers, acting upon orders from Kuaga, had rushed after us, seized us, and dragged us back to him despite our desperate struggles. "'So you defy me!' the negro called in a paroxysm of rage as Omar was brought up. This is because I was fool enough to allow your white-faced friend to accompany you. Our country is no place for whites, but he will make a good sacrifice to Zamaro when our journey is ended. You have both refused to accompany us, therefore we must use force. Then, turning to the half-naked savages who held us, he said, Bind them and tie them in their hammocks. Let not their bonds be loosened until our march be ended, for both are my prisoners." and he laughed triumphantly at our discomfiture. "'You shall pay for this insult with your life,' Omar cried angrily. "'Take off his European clothes, and let his string of royal jujus be burned. Henceforth he is a slave, as also is his white companion.' Next moment twenty ready hands tore from Omar most of his well-worn clothes, and although he fought with all the strength of which he was capable, 
his necklet of jujus, the magical charms that protected the queen's son from every evil, was ruthlessly spat upon and destroyed by the excited natives, together with his clothes. Then, after each of us had been tied in a hammock with our hands behind our backs, we were lifted by four stalwart bearers and carried forward at a brisk pace towards an unknown bourne. It was evident that we were not going to mow, and it was equally evident, too, that Kuaga, whom we had trusted implicitly, was our bitter enemy. End of chapter 6 Recording by Tom Weiss Tom's audiobooks.com